What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathing Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all so much for tuning in to another week. Today, we have a men's mental health advocate, NASM certified personal trainer, and the most recent bachelor, Clayton Eckerd. In today's episode, we deep dive into Clayton's origin story from growing up in a small town in Eureka, Missouri, to being put on a national stage. We discuss the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, and the emotions and the experiences that Clayton went through on his journey. Most importantly, we get to learn about who Clayton is as a person, the lessons that he learned along his search for love, and what is next in his plan of action for the future. I know that y'all will find this podcast entertaining, insightful, and hopefully allow you to take some lessons away as well. As if I need to tell you where to find him, you can find him on Instagram at Clayton Eckerd to follow along his journey as he ascends past the show and into his next phase of life. If this is your first time listening to the show, I would like to personally welcome you to what we like to call the BA family, where we cultivate winning habits and a mindset for success through love, through community, and through body, mind, and spirit optimization. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to the fans that continue to support this show and the growth that we have seen over the years. You are the backbone and you are the spirit of this show that continues to drive it to the next level. If you want to connect with us after the show, go check us out on Instagram at Breathe and Air Podcast, where we keep you up to date with the latest and greatest on the show, upcoming guests, and give you tips and practical tools to level up our lives on a daily basis. And last, but most definitely not least, is the price of admission for today. And that is if you receive value from this show, share it with someone that you think it will do the same. Without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you Clayton Eckerd. Mason, man, we talked about this day happening. I'm a little bummed right now because as we talked just before you started recording here, uh, we did highlight the difference in our curls. As you can see, (laughs) I, I always try to get to where you're at. And you just got to let it go, man. It doesn't go back here. There does no curls. It's just a front only kind of curl. And I don't know what it is, man, but I'm trying to be like you. Now people can see where the inspiration has come from, man. I don't know. Well, I need to, hey, here we are. We're here yeah. and, uh, to a couple, couple guys with some curls. Just uh, <laughs> looking to have a conversation. Curly gang, curly gang. Yes, sir. Yes, well, sir. Man, I, I appreciate you coming on. You know, it's it's been a really fun watching your journey. Um, you know, obviously not your journey to growing the curls, but your journey through life recently and, and you know, the ups and downs that you've been through. So I want to start with this. All right. You're, you're standing in the locker room and you start hearing the bells ring 
and a bunch of your teammates are jumping around getting hype. What is the feeling that you're feeling in that moment? Are you referencing all the way back to high school? I am. <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Uh, gosh, it's a throwback. You know, that gives me chills because I still think about it. When it comes to football, there was no truer love for the game than, than in high school football. And, I, and me and my high school buddies still talk about that. It's like we all do. I mean, you're part of that group as well, yeah. where it's like from that point forward, college, briefly NFL, it becomes more of a profession. But a, the genuine love for the sport, the love for the guys to the left and right of you who are just there playing for nothing more than to like just be supportive of each other and, and try to try to bring home a W like that. Man, I love the hell's bells, man. It's just like that. Yeah. That's yeah. That just to me, like amps me up every time I hear it. It still brings back that nostalgia. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of it all, man. That that really was high school football, I think, is what began the transition of my life into the person that I am today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we'll touch a little bit more on that, but I want to know what it was like growing up in Missouri. Like, what was your childhood like? What are some of your fondest memories? Oh, man. Uh, my middle brother, Nate, you know, obviously, you know, Nate, I, I, I talked to you like that, you know, you know, Nate, but uh, some people might have heard me reference him as nasty Nate on the uh, <laughs> on the show. He's a uh, guy's a character, but listen, he uh, growing up with him. Uh, and my youngest brother, Pat, uh, household of three boys. And it was just mass pandemonium at all times. I, you know, my parents, God, God bless them, like having to uh, deal with that, us getting in little fights, playing football out in the backyard, kill the man with the ball um, and just beating up on each other. And unfortunately, Nate would beat up on me a ton. <laughs> you know, you guys know I was kind of the runt. He was always the big dog until uh, about college. I think I think I started big dogging him from that forward. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, man, I just like growing up in, in Eureka, I mean, you know what it's like, it was a small town, I think population 10,000, everyone shows up for Friday night lights. Uh, as far as things to do, I mean, we hung out in a commuter lot. I think that was <laughs> so crazy how we just right off the highway, this little commuter lot, and we'd all roll up in our cars and the guys had their trucks and we'd just sit there and, and you'd either, you know, listen to music, uh, freestyle rap, sometimes <laughs> Fights, you know, it's like all the activity happened in that parking lot, and that was until whoever decided to throw a house party or a barn party, you know, whatever it might be. But like that was that was it, man. Like that was growing up in a small town. It's just like yeah. little to do, but we found so many ways to have fun. Yeah, a lot, a lot of good memories there. The commuter lot that that's a good one. <laughs> I wonder if people still go to that, man. I honestly still wonder if like the kids today in Eureka still go to the commuter lot, or if like that's an old tradition. I'd I'd be curious. Yeah. To see. I, I hope it. I hope it carries on. I hope it yeah. carries on. Yeah, They're absolutely. probably recording TikTok videos though in the in the parking yeah, lot now. They got me doing that. I'm I'm doing it now. I'm hitting those moves. Ah, oh my you know, gosh! I see you dude. dancing everywhere. <laughs> Susie's got me doing it. I got no choice, man. She, I turned the corner in the morning. She's like, um, so here's a new TikTok idea. I would love to do this. <laughs> I'm in oh, deep, man. man. I'm in deep. Yeah. That, that, hey, you know, the things you do for love, right? That's the, tell yes. me, yeah. Tell me like one pro and one con of growing up with two brothers. Okay. Uh, the con, I always like start with negative and on positive, right? So the con was probably the same as the pro. Uh, actually, the con was the level of competition. We constantly just fought and fought to be the best. 
that also ended up being the biggest pro because it motivated me to do more. Uh, I, I look back at it and because I always felt like there was a period of my life where I was overshadowed by, by Nate, I, it started to drive me to want to be better. And at first it manifested as anger towards him when I was younger and I was immature. I was angry that like he was outshining me, getting all the, you know, looked at by colleges and started varsity as a, as a freshman while I was on JV as a junior. You know, I mean, it, it really drove me. And there was a point that was like my junior year is when it hit me. I thought, you know, you need to stop making excuses. Stop expecting people to give you things because you just happen to get a growth spurt. Like you need to fight for what it is you want. And that's my senior year of football. It's like when I finally was given a chance by Coach Sumner, as you, you know, we all know and love yeah. that guy. Old school as it gets. But he yeah. said, hey, listen, I see potential in you, but it's like you got to fight for it. And I think he really kind of helps instill that fight in me started showing you know get standing behind me and say hey i try i believe in you but you got to bring it uh and mm -hmm. you know that was where it became where with my brothers having that constant competition in the house started to fuel me and as i started to progress and actually find success in not only football but other areas of life um we still compete that's what's so great about it is this dynamic that we have as a family we still talk about um, who's doing the best in their line and respective lines of work. We actually all were in medical sales. So we all started kind of competing yeah. in the last year in that I've obviously stepped away from that for the time being, but we're always competing and always pushing each other to do better. And we are supportive. And I think that's, what's so great is when you have people in your corner that are supporting you, they push you through those tough times. And Lord knows I've been through some tough times. <laughs> Absolutely. You kind of touched on it a little bit there, but if you can, you know, sift through all of the crazy memories and lessons that you've learned in your career in sports so far, and, you know, a lot of people don't know that about you probably that, you know, you were on JV as a junior and then you had the opportunity to play at the highest level of the game. So there's a lot of growth that happens there in a short period of time. So what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that journey? Yeah. You know, the one that really stuck with me and still does to this day, and I just kept implementing it along the way uh, from one level to the next was uh, the saying that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And that for me, when I started working hard, my senior year of high school, I was still kind of goofy trying to figure out, you know, I grew so much so quickly that I, I really didn't have a good grasp on how, you know, I wasn't as fluid. I was kind of just a little bit more still like growing into my body but I worked hard. So I just kept working hard. And so I had no scholarship offers anywhere, no D2 programs, no, definitely no D1s. And I decided to walk on at Mizzou. And at that point it was just, okay, set goals that are attainable and then just keep working hard. Whatever you see your teammates do, do an extra 10%, 20%, whatever it is. And I just kept doing that. And I kept outworking the people that were in the room with me. Uh, I think the rock, he says, you'll be the hardest worker in the room. I love that. It's yeah. one of the guys that I follow as well. And I look up to, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's actually with his clothing company. Like it's the big, the tagline, but it's so true. Yeah. If you are the hardest worker in the room, you'll always continue to progress. But what I realized is when you start getting higher and higher up, people start to match that level of, of hard work. Mm -hmm. And that's what that taught me. When I got to the NFL, everybody worked hard and everybody was ultra talented. And so but I keep that mindset is when you start get climbing up that ladder of success, uh, you have to outwork those, your opponents or your, your, your coworkers, whatever you want to call them, because eventually you get to a point where at the very top, these, those people aren't up there by luck. They're not up there by chance. They're yeah. up at the top because they work hard and they also are talented. And when you match those two up, I mean, that's, that's when you're, it's a deadly force and that's when you get your dangerous. And so, um, 
I think football taught me that just constantly working along the way, uh, being patient. Obviously you have to have that as well. That's, that's a virtue to have. Um, as, as I navigated through all this, I couldn't expect overnight success. That's another thing someone told me recently. I get all these, as I get to meet these people that are influential, they say, you know, overnight success wasn't, isn't built overnight. And it's like, yeah, there is no such thing as overnight success. Some, someone's been putting in the work for hours and hours and hours and hours, years and years and years. And then all, all of a sudden they get their big break, but yeah, I, all these things, so many thoughts. I mean, there's so much I could go into as far as my journey, because there's been so many, so many learning experiences, but I would say that those are probably at the top, uh, as far as what I feel like I kept utilizing along the way to continue to push me to up to that next level. Absolutely. I always think about the, you know, the camaraderie of a locker room and how that, you know, really correlates with business and life, you know, especially in sales, you, you get knocked down, people tell, you, no, you get cracked back or whatever it may be. Right. And you have to get back up and you have to be able to work as a team. Right. And I think that's something that, you know, I wish a lot of people could feel from the game of football specifically is not only being able to fail and get back up, but also what it's like to be in a room full of hundred guys from all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, all different walks of life. And then as soon as you step on that field, nothing else matters, right? You're a team, you're a single unit. And that's why I think sports is so priceless because it really flows over into all aspects of your life. Thousand percent. I don't think you could have said it better, or I couldn't have said it better myself. Because the biggest thing, and I've I've, I've preached that same message as I, you know, I, was, I remember after uh, college, I you know, as I talked to uh, potential employers, it was like, you know, what have you learned through football? And I thought you touched touched on it, but what's what's so critical about football is you what it shows you is you can find something to fight for no matter where you come from there's a common denominator that you can all band together from with all different walks of life no matter what someone's experienced but you can all come together for a common cause and fight for that cause and if you're passionate about it you're more likely to succeed as a group and if that's not a direct correlation into like any type of job uh, i looked in medical sales it's it's like the tighter knit the group was of sales reps that hung out with each other outside that bounce ideas off each other that, you know, when they were in a pinch, that other sales rep, you know, came from, you know, maybe it's 7 PM at night and they're eating dinner and that that they're, you know, their buddies like, Hey, listen, I just got jammed. Another case was added on. Like, can you come help me out? Yeah. When you have that camaraderie and you have, you're fighting for a common goal to achieve quota or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve as as a sales company. That's what football, I think, really kind of instilled into me is like once you, when you love people, when you fight, stand together, and when you succeed together, you grow together it makes you want to be a part of that, that team. And so that's, what's so important about football is it, it, it showed me that, that it doesn't matter if I grew up, you know, on one side of the country and this person grew up on the other side of the country. And I came from, you know, um, blue collar, if it's your white collar, if you're, if you grew up in poverty, you can all find something in common with each other. And then what's so great is in the downtime, you know, this, when we were in the locker room, those were some of the greatest times of my life actually was in the locker room off yeah. the field. Yeah. When we were sitting there, guys are dancing, blasting, you know, Lil Boosie, uh, you know, <laughs> or whatever we're blowing, blasting. I'm freestyle rapping, they're freestyle rapping, guys are wrestling. It's just, it's like this giant, um, you know, just this giant group of guys is goofing off being dudes. Yeah. And, uh, but we had some of the best conversations at that point, you know, when we sat down and I got to ask questions from my teammates who, were from areas where they came, where they're, you know, they didn't have a lot of opportunities. And I got to learn a lot about their backgrounds and realize that like, they want 
the same things that, you know, most we, that I want as well, as far as having success, finding a family, uh, but they fought their way out. And I learned a lot from seeing how hard they fought. And I realized if they can have that much fight in them, you know, I can also have that much fight in me. So uh, it's so cool that again, when you bring people from all different walks of life, you can learn so much when you surround yourself with them. Yeah. That's, it really is a, an amazing thing. I, I think a lot of people kind of understand that background now, right? You're, you're out of the league, you are in medical sales reps, and then all of a sudden, what's starting to happen here? How does the you know ramblings of you having a chance to be on The Bachelorette, or what prompted you? How did this come about? Yeah, so I, I tell people, I feel like my 28th birthday last year was my quarter-life crisis. Uh, <laughs> I, it just hit me. It was really like, it was simply April 29th. That day, I turned 28. And it was a period of, of self-reflection where I kind of just sat there that night. I think it was a it was during the week. I don't think it was a weekend, but uh, that's kind of besides the point. But I remember sitting there and thinking that night, okay, I feel like what I'm doing right now is exactly what I was doing five years ago. Mm. And it kind of, it, I, hit, I hit a panic button. You know, I really, there was a moment where I was like, you haven't really progressed like you thought you would your life's okay. You're complacent. Just be, be real with yourself. That's what I realized. I was complacent. I was going through the motions. I was going into work, doing what I needed to do. Wasn't super passionate about it. Was good at it. Like definitely gave it, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, a hundred percent as far as when I was in that operating room, I mean, of course I was like, this is like a loved ones on the table. I'm not going to be halfway here. I'm all the way there. Yeah, But I just felt, I, I looked at it like, is this something I really want to do long-term? Do I want to be in this position? Because I had the ability to take over the, the account uh, and I would have been there long-term. And I just realized in that moment, I was like, I don't think that this is where I want my life to be 10, 15, 20 years or for the rest of my life. And so I felt like I needed change. So I started to look into moving uh, whether it was within medical sales or outside of medical sales, I actually was looking into the Scottsdale area because Nate, you know, had moved here. And so was Pat at the time. And I thought, you know, family is so important to me. So at the end of the day, I was like, that's what makes me most happy, my relationships in my life. So I thought, okay, how about I move closer to them? Uh, so I started looking for opportunities out here. And as I did, I just happened to get reached out to on Instagram. I got a DM uh, by a, a talent recruiter for the show. And I thought it was pretty wild and I made a comment to uh, Nate and Pat and they're just like, you should do it, man. Like, that'd be crazy. But you never actually thought that it was going to happen. Like, I never actually thought it would come to fruition. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I started to talk to companies about in medical sales and I actually almost accepted a job in St. Louis. And what happened was it just didn't end up being what I thought it was. I, I, I kind of wasn't given the full story is my understanding. And as I talked to my um, company and they kind of shed light on, on, on that job and how, Hey, listen, Clayton, it's not what you think it is. Uh, and I went back and talked to that company and they said, well, yeah, that's, we did tell you these things weren't going to be there. And I was like, no, you know, you didn't tell me that what happened essentially is I felt was no longer comfortable with that job. Mm -hmm. I had now told my company that I was going to leave or, or I was looking for a job. So now there's that instability, like, great, this kid's like one foot out the door. So how do we feel about moving forward with him? So with all of that uncertainty, I still had that talent recruiter in my DMs being like, Hey, they really liked you. Let's go to the next step of the, of the process. And I just remember praying and saying, if this is meant to be Lord, then like, I'll just keep going through, you know, interview by interview. 
And sure enough, by the end of it, they said, yeah, like, we'd love to bring you on the show. And I got to that point where I was like, you know what, if there's ever a moment in my life to jump, it's in a moment of instability. And I have, yeah. it couldn't be more unstable than it is right now. Mm. You know, with everything that just happened, my work is questioning if I'm going to be here long-term, you know, this is the time to jump and I'm 28 years old. Like if I'm going to make a career switch, this is the time to do it. So yeah, I, I took the opportunity and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go on the show. What's the expectation? I was like, you know, the expectation is really, I just want to go on there. It'll be a fun experience. And I thought, you know, I was like, yeah, I remember looking at Michelle she, and I was like, yeah, she's really cute. Like this could work out, but I'm one of 30 guys. So what are the chances? It's one in 30 chance. If we don't happen to work out, if nothing else, hopefully some girl somewhere will watch the show and be like, I like that guy. <laughs> and she'll reach out to me and I'll be able then to get that part of my life locked down as far as finding a lasting relationship. Because to me, again, like connections are everything. Relationships are everything to me. And that was the one piece that I felt like I wasn't finding in Columbia. I also wasn't searching so much for it at that point in my life, but I just was like, you know what? I want to lock this part down in my life. I want something serious. So I figured, yep. hey, what better thing to do than to throw yourself out there in front of the entire uh, world or United <laughs> States, I should say, to, to just watch you on screen and maybe someone will come find you and be interested in you. So that was my thought. And then obviously, as we see it, when it progressed far beyond that. Yeah. When you're in that scenario, like what, what is it like for someone who hasn't been in showbiz per se or behind the camera? Was there a period of you know, trying to get used to that. Was it weird? Did it feel more natural? Oh my gosh, dude. No, night one on the bachelorette, I thought about leaving six times. At least. <laughs> I remember I went into the bathroom and I was just like, what am I doing here? Because some of the guys they brought on were just absolute characters. I mean, they, it's like they'd been behind a camera or in front of a camera for their entire life. They came out blasting their personality, scream at the top of their lungs, doing one guy walked in without his, any pants on. I was like, what is happening? One guy comes out of a, you know, out of a plate. He's under, he's like on this, like in a dish. I don't know. It's just, there was all these things, <laughs> guys coming on like, um, you know, fire trucks. And I'm like, holy, and I'm over here getting my, my, my ass spanked with a ruler. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing, man? Like, this is like, the boys aren't going to let me live that down for one. I, I was like, all the cameras, when I stepped out that limo and I saw her, I was like, wow, like she's extremely attractive, very beautiful woman. And then I saw all of the cameras, like 10 cameras just positioned all throughout. And then you just start to be like, you think really to yourself, everything I say and do will be recorded. And yeah, of course that takes a time that takes a period of time to, um, to grow, uh, to become accustomed to it because yeah, you're just like, okay, so now I have a mic on me 24 seven. I have five cameras on me. <laughs> Yeah. And you just want to make sure, obviously, that like everything I say, I stand by because anything can be taken out of context. Anything can be used against you. And so, yeah, you just you kind of make sure like you, there's that period where you're just a little bit hesitant. I was very hesitant at first. I was kind of quiet. I just sat back and I was basically kind of a non-factor for the first half of that season. <laughs> and then when I got to Minneapolis, I started kind of getting my wits about me. I was getting confident. And then Michelle threw the axe in there real quick, right? When that confidence came through and uh, <laughs> listen, she has really strong connections. These guys were incredible, but yeah. Um, yeah, it takes a period of time. Absolutely. I'd never really watched reality TV, so I had no idea what I was getting into. And it seems that you've made some really good connections with the guys kind of sharing a bond of going through that experience together. Tell me what that's been like. Oh man. Yeah. I just got back from a weekend uh, in San Diego with all, it's the first time we all really met up. Um, and it's, it's just, yeah, what's, what's impressed me so much 
is the strength of those connections. I, uh, one of my closest friends from the show, Brandon, uh, he's, he's actually, he came out to Scottsdale and we had a hell of a weekend about a month or a month or two ago. Uh, but I remember I was thinking after the end of the show, we were roommates for, I kid you not five days. That was it. Like we obviously were on the show prior to that, but we weren't roommates, but in Minneapolis, we became roommates and just by, just by chance, they just grouped us together. And I remember him kind of looking at me being like, ah, all right, I'm with this guy. Cause it's not like he didn't <laughs> like me. We just, we, him and I just didn't really connect in uh, LA beforehand, but then we became roommates and we sat up at night after the end of filming, they take off all the mics and all that. And, uh, we sat there and we we're talking and we called it pillow talks. Like we had three, four hour conversations every night for about five days, talking about life, how we got here, our insecurities, what we want in life. We just talked and it was, it grew this incredibly close bond in a short period of time. When I stepped off the show, I remember thinking, well, am I actually friends with this guy? Like, well, I'd be long-term. I, mean, I only really, you know, had four solid conversations with them, but what I realized was, yeah, no, like those bonds, they were stronger in that environment. It just kind of, cause we were always around each other 24 seven. And it doesn't matter if you have you know, only four or five days with somebody, if you're spending 24 hours a day, that's a lot of time together. That's like in the real world, you know, you might hang out with someone on a weekend and mm. then you wait seven days later till the next day to hang out with them. So like you're basically, you hang out one at once every seven days. Whereas in this environment for a month, we hung out every single day, 24 seven. Yep. If you stretch that out into the real world, that's the equivalent of like seven or eight months of knowing somebody. Yeah. So yeah, all perspective, all that to say the bond with these guys, um, we all just understand each other. And there's a part that people on the outside will never understand because we saw everything behind the scenes. We know how the full thing works. Everyone else sees what's shown on TV, what they can show in two hours. Right. And so we've bonded because we went through something that, yeah, very few people went through and it really did. It is something that we'll be able to look back on and talk about for a lifetime. Yeah. That's awesome. It reminds me of almost like a fall camp vibe. Like you're going through it together late nights, you know, you're, you're going through it. And then, you know, those bonds are important. And it reminds me of something there when you're saying, you know, you guys are talking about, you know, life, insecurities, struggles, things that you, uh, you guys have been through. And it makes me think that that's probably part of why the bond was so strong in the first place, because you guys were being open and vulnerable with each other. I feel like there's a bit of a, you know, uh, misconception that that doesn't happen a lot between men these days. And that, you know, if you are, you know, vulnerable, it, it's a weakness. What have you learned through that? And kind of how can you speak to that now that you've had these experiences? I'm glad you brought that up, man, because that is one of the biggest things that I'm passionate about uh, is just being transparent uh, and, and being able to have any conversation, really. I, I don't it does upset me that it seems like there are conversations that are still taboo, things that people uh, don't feel comfortable talking about because the way they're afraid about the way they'll be perceived. Mm -hmm. And men's mental health is one of those things. I think a lot of men, I know I can speak, I can speak for myself and I'm sure you'd say the same thing, but you know, growing up, if you expressed emotions, if you cried in front of your friends, if you were upset or sad or whatever it might be, you know, you would get, ripped apart in a, in a locker room in, in, in middle school or even early high school as like freshmen uh, on the, like on the football team or wherever you did it, because that was considered soft. Like you were soft, you were, a, you were a beta male, like these terminology, these terminologies that were used just for speaking your mind 
And I don't know, it's just so deeply rooted, rooted in our society. I think where it's like men don't talk about their issues, they hold them in. But the sad part about it is that's why uh, you see, you know, men's suicide rates are, are elevated as opposed to, you know, versus women and, and, or just like they're higher than what they should be. And, and I mm-hmm. think that's the biggest reason is because men aren't talking about it. They're not finding ways to express those feelings and get them out and they just hold them in there and they, they bubble up. And then what happens is, is it, you know, you have a, a moment that causes it all to burst out at once. And that's, that's typically when men start to act irrationally and do something that is, is very irrational and is, and is dangerous and harmful to them. So, uh, for me, I learned that lesson of just opening up and surrounding myself with men that were mature enough to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. uh, and just trusting, you know, one, one friend at a time start. So as I started building my friend group, uh, I started, you know, having these conversations, maybe at first it was just talking about, ah, man, I'm having a bad day. And it's like, oh, what's that? Well, you know, that my friend's like, Hey, why, why, what's going on? Talk to me. So you start off with something like that, something little. And the next thing you know, you're talking about body dysmorphia. You're talking about uh, depression. You're talking about, um, you know, bigger topics. But I think, you know, I started off kind of small, like just, oh, I'm having a bad day. And you'd see your friends and be like, oh, did you talk to me? Like, what's up, man? Like, I, I'm here for you. And over time, like you, you realize when you can be vulnerable with your friends and they're vulnerable back you know so much more about them and you can relate so much more and it strengthens those bonds. And then all of a sudden you get to a point where like where I'm at today, where I was able to be on the show, very open and transparent about my body image issues to a group of women that didn't know me with cameras on me. And I wasn't worried in the slightest to talk about it. I wasn't concerned about the blowback. I wasn't afraid about any guy saying in my DMs, you're soft for talking about this. Cause I'm like, you know what? No, you're not a real man. If like, you're the one saying that because real men are secure in themselves and they can talk about these things. And I know a ton of good men around me that are open with their feelings. And guess what? They're some of the happiest people because they're not hiding their true emotions. They're out there. They throw them out there for everyone to understand and see, and people learn from them and they learn from them as well. And so I'm just happy you brought that up because I think for me, as I move forward, that's something we can talk about that a little bit later or whenever, but, uh, I'm very, very much focused on wanting to be able to utilize, you know, the platform I've been given to shed a light on men's mental health and being transparent and open with emotions, because the more we have the discussions, the more times we talk about it, the higher the frequency will be down the road and the less taboo it'll become. Yeah. I think that really speaks to, you know, the type of men that you surround yourself with too. You know, I have one tattoo and it, it something that my dad, you know, used to, it's a Bible verse in Proverbs. It's as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. So the iron and the two hammers and iron. And that means so much to me because I think back even, you know, coaches and mentors, and even today, you know, friends that, you're able to have those conversations, the ones that aren't easy, you know, they're able to shoot, shoot you straight, right? They're going to tell you the truth. And it's not because, you know, they want to hurt your feelings or it's because they want what's best for you, right? And you kind of have to zoom out and look around yourself and say, are these people serving me in a positive way? Or are these people, people detrimental to my goals and aspirations and the things that I want in life? And like you said, you know, you had that moment at 28 where you were like, man, what was I doing the last five years? I think a lot of people 
need to come to that realization of like, let's, let's do an audit of my life here and actually like, look at all this shit on the table and, and how can I get better? And how do my goals correlate with my actions on a day-to-day basis? And Lord knows I am not perfect at it, but at least I'm aware and take inventory. And I think a lot of people can, you know, take that home and use it for good. Oh, a thousand percent, man. I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, you know, the more that you discuss uh, these these worries that you have with other people, the more that more likely you are to potentially have an idea tossed your way that you didn't have the perspective to understand or or ever even think about uh, conjure up yourself. And so, what I've realized is the more conversations I have, as even just like dialogues like this, like as we talk, the two of us it puts more thoughts in my head. And then I have more periods of self-reflection. I've had so much self-reflection over these last few months, like just constant self-reflection. But what's so great about it is through that, I, I can sit here and go, okay, here's where you're at today. Let's just lay it all out there. Here's where you're at and here's where you want to be. So how do you get there? And it's like, you're mapping out through periods of self-reflection, taking that time it's great to have like, and for me, that 28th birthday was like that first period of like, okay, wait, I'm done going through the motions. Let me become, you know, I'm just kind of complacent. I'm just kind of going through life. Let me pull myself back down to the ground, lock in right now and address where I'm at. Not just kind of like mosey around day to day, doing the same old remedial tasks. Let me lock in here real quick, face reality and and ask myself, what am I doing right now? What is it? And, And how do you feel? Like, are you happy? I found out, I was like, no, I'm just content. I'm like, I'm just, it's what it is. I'm like, okay, so you're content, but are you truly happy? Well, no. Okay. So what would make you happy? And like, that's what again happened around that point of my life. And now I'm in that constant mindset. Like I'm in that period of life right now with a lot of things up in the air, but I'm like, every day I wake up, I'm like, are you happy? Yeah. Okay, cool. Then stay on that path. Are you not happy? Okay. No, you're not. Well then what can you do to find yourself on that path towards happiness? And yeah, it's, it's, for me, it's always about doing something, you know, doing something is better than doing nothing. Yeah. And just, that's something that I've also carried in this part of my life where I'm at right now is every day I wake up and I'm just trying to do something. I'm like, find something to, to occupy my time to be a little bit better than I was the day before. Yeah, absolutely. One, the 1% better every day. I love that because yeah. it puts things into perspective. We get too far down the line sometimes and it, it ruins the only moment that we can actually control, which is now. But I kind of want to go back to when you know, you're done with the bachelorette, you get the ax, you get tossed out, and then it's coming back around and you find out that you're going to be the bachelor. Were you expecting this at all? No, uh, not, not one bit. I, when I got sent home, I was, I was just, I was happy. Not, I was a little upset. Cause obviously like on the date I had with Michelle, I had a lot of fun and I was like, Oh, I could really see myself dating her. Mm-hmm. She didn't feel the same way, but she was very, very mature about it. Very nice. And, uh, and yeah, it let me down easy. And so I walked out of there though, and I was having conversations with some people around me on the show. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm happy that this because it Go for it. Yeah. So I, 
you know, I had actually like at that point when Michelle sent me home, I was, uh, you know, I, I kind of walked off and I had some people around me and I had one person come to me and tell me specifically, Hey, you know, we saw a lot of growth out of you during this journey. We saw this person come into their, their, their true form. They're excited. We, we saw it from the time when you came in, when you were timid until now, where you seem like you have this new grasp on life. You seem very excited. So keep that fire under you and don't go back to your regular life. Promise us that like, don't go back to that prior life, you know, uh, uh, make, make changes. And I, and I promised them that I said, yeah, yeah. I said, you know what? I go, I, I promise you, like, I will, uh, you know, I'll move, I'll, I'll, I'll reset my life and, and restart on a new journey. I just didn't know that about, you know, a couple of days later, they were going to say, Hey, uh, so, you know, about that and you might potentially wanting to, uh, you know, start, start new. What would you think about, um, yeah, being the next bachelor. And that was a shock to me. And I remember just from, I remember sitting there and it just, it just didn't feel real. I think when that happened, I, it, it was a very surreal feeling. I just kind of sat there for a second and I was like, wow, is that, are those words? Like, that's actually what I just heard. Like, uh, you're not BSing me. Like that's, that statement was actually just said to you. But I had such a great experience on the bachelorette side of things that I just was like, you know what? I had so much fun on that, but now I can be in the driver's seat on the other side. Like, let's do it. Like I saw the quality of men that you all brought in. So if you can bring in the same quality of women, I'm going to have a hard time narrowing it down at, to the end to one woman. Like it's going to be really, really hard for me to get to that point. And I'm going to struggle. And I must've manifested that because I struggled. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say about yeah. that. It seems like you did. I mean, I can imagine making those connections in, you know, traveling to places and having these extravagant dates and, you know, really looking for that. Like, I know you were, it, it has to be so hard to kind of see between the lines sometimes. Well, you know what it is, is that again, when you're in that environment, you are a hundred percent focused on building relationships. You don't have any distractions. You don't have friends around, you don't have family around, you don't have work obligations, you don't have anything other than time to build these relationships. And so you are a hundred percent on your brain is in full relationship mode, full go. And you see everything through that lens. Uh, and so you're just very, very much hyper-focused on that area of your life. And I think what that does, is it basically allows you to like really lock in and narrow your focus into that trajectory of your life. And then what you end up doing is you allow things to progress at a pretty quick rate because you're not, you're not being pulled out of the environment to go hang out with friends at a bar one night or, oh, I have a work obligation I have to do. You're fully in on this, this environment. So you just continue to invest more and more each and every day and yeah, I mean, because you're in this little bubble of sorts, this little microcosm, you are just fully in that. And that's all you're thinking about. And your mind starts racing at a million miles an hour. And you start to just like, yeah, you start to, you fall, you fall hard. I mean, that's, and that's what happened for me is uh, I had very real feelings on that show. Like I did fall for multiple women uh, because I was so hyper-focused on just trying to find my person. And I was giving everyone a fair shot, compartmentalizing the relationships to the best of my ability because as I realized I was in an environment that was a polyamorous environment. It was dating multiple people at one time, but with the end goal of getting down to monogamy, getting down to dating one person. And so I had to like, 
I had to adjust my mindset, obviously being a monogamous person prior to all this dating one person ever in my life, like, or at one time, all of a sudden I'm dating multiple people. Now I have to like understand what that's like in my head. And, but then I have to get it back to the point at the end where I'm dating one person. And I think that's where I really found a lot of issues and I was lost and confused and struggled was trying to navigate between that polyamorous environment down to this monogamous, you know, final, you know, relationship. And it just, yeah, I I didn't, I think I struggled a lot and people saw that. And I was saying things that didn't make sense. Like, why would you say that to someone you love? But it's like, but I thought that's in that environment. It just felt like that was the way to do it. I I just didn't know any better because I never experienced it. Right. Do you think it would have been easier with another guy? Because now what? It's going to be two girls with like, what is that going to be like? Since oh, man. I'll tell you what, I, I that'll be really intriguing uh, to watch. And I am interested in watching it because I think that jealousy is something that we all struggle with. Right. And um, and to have to go into a show on national television where you're essentially you essentially are competing for love, but now you're doing it with another person staying beside you that now it's like, okay, naturally, I think people will compare. And I hope the women don't. I hope the two women realize like, Hey, I'm different than she is. I'm my own person. I'm confident and whoever, you know, I'm going to be myself. And at the end of the day, that's all I can do. I really, really do hope that that's the way that they are. And they can, they can keep that with them. But I'll tell you this, like if I was, if I was in their shoes and I was competing against uh, or I was there and there was another bachelor with me and, you know, he was a little bit taller, a little bit more muscular, a little bit better smile, whatever. It, it would be hard. I think it'd be, you know, that, that's just to be in that environment and, and stay confident. I mean, it's, it's going to be a true test of, you know, your character to have to navigate that. And I, I don't know if I would be able to navigate it truthfully. I mean, I think I'd be constantly comparing myself and not feeling like I was good enough. And then if all of a sudden all the girls start to really like that person and the people that I like, don't like me back, they like the other one more. I mean, that's, that's where uh, you can really start going spiraling down a dark path. And, and then you next thing you know, you're, you're just spiraling down a dark path on national television where everyone's watching you. So um, I wish those two the best. I am really interested in seeing how that's going to play out. I hope they both are confident as people. Uh, because you're going to have to be in that environment. I mean, it's it's going to be a very challenging environment and they will both inevitably grow from that experience. Yeah. As as you're going through this and the whole world is weighing in on what you should have done, what you didn't do, and you know, you're seeing this play back and you have access to things like social media. How have you been able to balance that to keep your mind in a good place? Oh man. Well, I think the problem was, is I am just way too curious. So I had a lot of people tell me a lot of former bachelor bachelorettes to not, uh, not read my DMS and not, not look online. But you know, the, the tough part was, is in this, these, as I was watching the show back, I couldn't have a job. I couldn't hold a job because I was bouncing back and forth every two weeks to to do press junctions and, uh, just to do all these different things where photo shoots, whatever it might be. So I couldn't hold a job. So therefore I could work out, but what was I going to do the rest of the day? You know, I had to have a presence online to kind of like show people, Hey, here's who I am while the show's playing, uh, you know, spark a little bit of like social media interest and all that. 
So I really didn't have any choice. I had to really dive deep into social media just to have a presence because I didn't have a presence prior. So, you know, that, that obligation to, I don't want to call it an obligation. No one was telling me I had to do it, but I felt like, Hey, like this is my moment. I'm here in the spotlight, but I can also use this platform to show who I am outside of the show. So inevitably I got fully pulled into this online environment and I started to read the negative comments because they were right there along the positive comments. Uh, then I started getting DMS and my messages. And so as I was reading through them to see if, you know, friends are sending messages, but then all of a sudden there's another message, Hey, kill yourself. Hey, you're, you POS, you narcissist, you, and it just like, they started to come piling in and it, it did get to me. I'd say like towards the finale or about like right around that point was my lowest point that I had been in a long time emotionally, uh, because I just was getting thousands of messages a day and they were, you know, the majority of them were telling me how I don't deserve to have any happiness in life anymore after what I've done. And when you start to see the same messages over and over and over again, you almost start to believe them, you know, even though like you, and that's where you have to constantly surround yourself with people that love you, that, that a close knit group that can continue to pour love into you and, 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 and make sure that you're as unshaken as possible. You have to have that support system around. And what I started doing was I started reaching out to the bachelor, former bachelors, some bachelorettes. And I was like, Hey, what was your journey? Like when you did this? And a lot of them told me, yeah, I went through, I had a lot of negative backlash too. And so just hearing that they'd went through it and that it gets better, just hearing that message, like it gets better. Uh, I started to believe that. I was like, you know what? This is a temporary part of your life. It hurts. Let it hurt, you know, just, just take it in for what it is, but understand that it will get better. And they were right. Uh, I'm not out of the clear by any means. I still am facing a ton of backlash. People are still upset with me, but at the end of the day, uh, where I was at two weeks ago at my lowest point until now, uh, it's night and day. Like I'm so happy now. I'm out of that spotlight, really. I'm just enjoying my life with Susie, back with my family, with my friends, and I'm just back to living life. And it's been that is that has allowed me to realize like all that pain that I felt and suffered throughout the season and went through and brought on to myself uh, was temporary. And if nothing else, though, it was it was a lesson learned, many lessons learned. You know, I failed. Sure. I failed at points. I could, you, I mean, failing, failing, failing is what's subjective, but for me, I felt I did fail at certain points, but ultimately with every failure, there's a, there's a lesson learned. And that's how, the way I, I perceive it. Now I've switched that mindset. I'm back having that positive self-talk, uh, having people around me talking positively, and I'm just flooding my life with positivity and that's pushing out all that negativity. Yeah, that's it. I always speak on that too with social media in general for anybody, you know, especially someone in your position, because I can't even believe it, but you got to curate what you're constantly consuming, because like you said, you consume something enough, it's going to get ingrained in your brain and your subconscious brain is going to take over. It's, it's like your program to think and feel a certain way based on what we see. And sometimes it's not even right in your face. Right. And it's a small thing that grows and grows and grows, but it is so important. I, I remember when I made the conscious effort, and this was probably like three years ago now, to really get rid of all the junk on social media. And it really changed a lot of, you know, my perspective on some of that stuff. But it's interesting, you know, because I'm pretty sure Nate never had an Instagram either until you uh, were on The Bachelor. <laughs> I wonder why he did that. Why would he do that, man? Uh, I can't sell my brother out. I think he just felt like he was... He was missing out. He felt that uh, it was time for the world to 
to know, you know, globally speaking, who Nasty Nate is. <laughs> now, I mean, he, yeah, he's, you know, he's been one of my biggest support systems, honestly, since I, the last few months I spent out here in Scottsdale. He's been my roommate. So uh, we had a lot of these tough conversations uh, for me that were tough for me. And I think he saw I was hurting. And, uh, you know, at first he was joking with me and kind of razzed me a little bit and then realized, wait, he's actually, Nick Clayton's actually bothered by this. And so yeah. uh, we, ha- we had those talks, but he put me in my place at points too. As people saw, like with my dad did the same thing on the show. It's like, sometimes you need those people to give it to you straight. Uh, there's, there's, there's points where they're like, where they're loving. You have some people in your life that are there to, to give you love, to care for you, to listen to you. And there are other people there that are in your life to steer you in the right direction, but to give you that constructive criticism to say, Hey, listen, you screwed up. Like you messed up. You've done, you're in this rut right now. Okay. We're all, we're, let's acknowledge it. It is what it is. How are you going to get out of it? That's that's quit focusing on what's already done. Cause what's already done is over. It's over. Quit dwelling on it. What are you going to do from here on out? And that's what the conversations you know that we had. You know, my family came in on the show. It was, you know, what, what now? What are you going to do now? And I told them, and they were like, okay, that's crazy. Uh, but ultimately, they told me we support you and we love you, and we think you know we're, we'll stand behind you. And that's all I needed to hear. I was like, you know what? I'll go forward, and maybe I'll make more mistakes going forward. But I have their support, so that's all I need to continue to push forward. And it, it worked out. I followed my heart. And when everyone else thought it was over, when everyone thought that there, I hit the end of the line, when Susie walked out that last night and I was alone, I really felt like I had those moments. So I sat there out in the rain for like 15 minutes and, you know, no one came out to get me because they're like, he's just having his moment. But I remember thinking like, okay, I'm alone. I came in alone. I left alone. So how are you going to perceive this entire journey? Are you going to perceive this entire journey as a failure because you walked it out with the same thing that you walked in with? Or did you learn a lot of life lessons that you actually, even though you're alone in this moment, you've walked out with way more than you could have ever asked for. And that's what I've begun to realize as I've sat and reflected more is I learned so much about myself. I learned so many life lessons, things that I would have never have learned. I think I packed like five years of growth into two months. (laughs) And then, you know, on top of all that, through following my heart, it led me right back to Susie. And that was the beautiful thing about it was when it all seemed like it was all gone and I had to walk out of there alone. It's like, I stuck to my guns. was like, gave it my all with her and it ended up working out. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it just, I think it goes to show for me is like following your heart. Well, is something that I, I would push as well. Something that I learned from the show is like, follow your heart. If you believe in something, if you really want to chase after it, then, then give it your all. And at the end of the day, if, if, even if you fail, you can at least say that, there was no stone left unturned. You did everything you could in your power. So you'll never have to play that. What if game. And because of what I did, I don't have to ever play that. What if game. Yeah, that's huge. What, as you adjust to this new lifestyle and, you know, people knowing you and obviously having huge press, you know, what keeps you grounded? Uh, You know, you spoke on family and friends, but is there anything else that you do now in your life that helps you stay grounded Oh yeah. Uh, well, it, yeah, for me, it's just diving back into the things that have shaped me into who I am. So family and friends, like for me, that's, what's so important. If I want to get back to like my roots, right. It's like, okay, you were in this really foreign environment. You were up on this pedestal. If you want to call it that, whatever you were in the spotlight, now you're out of it. Okay. So go back to the things in life that made you happy that, that were, that, that drove you to do more each and every day. And so for me now, what I do is 
outside of just making sure that I'm keeping up to, you know, up to date with my friends and family and spending time with them. Uh, you know, I've begun to listen to audiobooks, uh, and I'm, uh, yeah, listening to, um, really self-help books that I think for me, it's like, okay, things that with pertaining to men's health in particular, uh, you know, taking time to do that, uh, staying busy, working on my personal training certificate right now, uh, because I have a passion for fitness. And so I, um, my thought is like, okay, just right now, take your mind off a lot of this negativity that's still around. Like, don't focus on that. Take your time every day, wake up and, and really kind of give yourself some time to breathe, but, but put, make your day busy so that you're focusing on progressing past this moment, because a lot of this negativity is all still temporary. It's temporary. It's not staying here for long. It's going to be gone. So don't focus on that. What's going to be gone in the next month or two or six months, whatever, focus on what's going to be around in the next five to 10 years. And that's where I'm at is I'm just doing stuff right now that is going to still be with me, hopefully five or 10 years from now. And, and, pushing all of my energy into those, in those avenues. Yeah. You mentioned training and I think most ex athletes can relate to this. You know, some guys after they get done, uh, they blow up, you know, I've seen O-linemen lose a bunch of weight. I've seen skill guys get fat really quick. Like it, you know, it really varies. Uh, but what is your relationship with training after sport? And, you know, how has that, you know, helped you in your life so far? Yeah, well, you know, I think what sports did is it laid the the groundwork. It laid the foundation for a lot of my knowledge base that I now have today. Uh, so again, like as I went through year after year in high school, I remember the mindset was like, I remember someone brought, came up to me one day, like, you work up a lot, work a lot of upper body. I was like, yeah, because girls don't care about legs. That was <laughs> I could go back and slap myself in the face for saying that my sophomore year of high school self. Uh, but again, I was like, I was immature. I was just an idiot. And, uh, but you know what it was like, again, it's like over time, I, as I went into college, I started to really take it seriously because what I realized was if you wake up every day, happy, then you're going to have a good day. But if you wake up every day and you're upset and depressed, then you're going to have a really bad day. And for me, as someone who, uh, you know, I'd say I have, I have body dysmorphia. I was going to say struggles with it, but I, I've really kind of got it under wraps in the last year or two, as I've really started to hone in on diet, realizing diet's a massive part of the equation that I wasn't really, I had the workout part down. I was working out sometimes two and a half hours a day and realized, well, I'm not getting the results I want because I was overeating. So as the last year or two, as I started really focusing on diet, uh, I'm starting to see the results that I want. And I can wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, Hey, like, I like the way I look, I'm happy. And so that starts the first thing you see in the morning typically is yourself, right? Like you walk out and you go and look in the mirror and boom. So if you can start off smiling back at that person in the mirror, then you walk, you carry in that day as you go into work as a more positive, happy person. But if you look in the mirror and you're looking at your stomach and there's a, there's a fold of fat there, or you just look, you feel like you're looking, you look droopy you start to be really upset and you, then you go into work and you're already upset. You're like, oh, I'm having a terrible day. Cause I look terrible today. So everyone's probably going to notice it when I walk in, they're going to be like, wow, he looks fat today. And I'd have these thoughts in my head back when I really struggled with body dysmorphia, but that's where, again, as I've learned over time from football to now taking things into my own hands, educating myself on a daily basis with like this training certificate, reading all the resources, resources I can, and adapting to the ever-changing environment of fitness because always new information is always coming out. 
but always reading into it and just being up to date with it. Um, you know, football really kind of just laid the groundwork, like I said, and now I'm the one that's building on top of it with, um, by finding reputable sources and taking that time and then using the little tidbits that I learned and putting, implementing that into my life. And that's gotten to me where I am today, where it's like, I have control over that body dysmorphia. I am happy. And now I hopefully will be able to give back, uh, in the fitness world with my experiences that I've went through. What were some of those big changes that you realized uh, as, as pertaining to diet that you saw some big changes with? Yeah, you know, so, so the biggest thing for me was so everything was trial and error. Uh, one thing that I realized at one point in my life, I think it was midway in college, I, I, I wasn't happy. I got a DEXA scan, so it was measuring my muscle to body fat ratio. And I remember I got the numbers back and I was upset. I was like, man, I'm, I'm high body fat. I was like higher than I wanted to be. So I, what I did was I made all these drastic changes. I remember at the time I cut out any type of sugar. Uh, so I stopped drinking like these protein shakes that we had that were given to us in college. Cause they had some high sugar. I mean, like it was like 15 or 20 grams, but I, I just started cutting all that out. And and then I, what I started to stop eating certain foods. Well, what I was doing was I was cutting out so many things that I actually just restricted my calories is what I ended up doing. I didn't know because I was cutting out sugar over here, stuff over here. I was more conscious, health conscious of what I was eating, but I was trying to build muscle. So I was still working out so hard in the gym, but I was cutting out all these foods that I, that I wasn't, you know, cause I was like, this is bad. This is high sugar. And so then what happened? I, after two months, I went back, got a DEXA scan. I had lost five pounds of muscle and put on, I think for like, or and I lost five pounds of muscle. I didn't put on any fat. I just lost five pounds of muscle. Cause I lost weight. Cause I was in this huge cal- caloric deficit. Yeah. And that was a massive life, life lesson for me. When I realized if you're going to make changes, make small changes so that you can see over the course of a month or two, what's working mm-hmm. and then fine tune stuff. So then also make another small change. But that moment taught me that it's, you know, at a basis and it's much more complex process, but I say this again, it's just through my experience. If, you know, whether you gain or lose weight, it's all, it's a matter of whether you're not, whether you have excess calories, if you eat more than you burn or whether you, if there's a deficit, if you, um, you know, burn more than you eat. And so I didn't understand that concept alone. And I just, and, and through my experiences of failing, I started learning these lessons. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting because you get so many in the fitness space, especially in health, you know, I'm, I'm very ingrained in that as well. And you get so many different opinions on, you know, this diet or that diet or, and this and that. And I think that it all comes back to sustainability. Like, how are you going to be able to sustain this? How are you going to be able, like you said, long-term see results that you can still live the lifestyle that you want to live. And that fits in, you know, your life that's comfortable and you can look in the mirror and you can say, I did a good job. Right. Uh, and, and feel good as well. I think the correlation of how good you feel and the chemicals that get released when, you know, you exercise and when you are hydrated and your energy levels and your sex drive and like all of these things, right. Are so important to us feeling, you know, engaged and focused and vitality and all of those things. So it is very important. I think, you know, we live in an obese nation, so it's, it really is important what you're doing to be able to push that message. Yeah. And I, and I always want to stress as well that again, it's like, I don't want to ever overstep my boundaries. I'm not, 
a registered dietitian, I, but I, what I, there's, you know, I'm working towards my certificate right now in fitness alone. And something that I've learned through that is that I can give general uh, nutrition advice, but you know, as far as talking more in depth, that's where it's like, again, everybody is different and everybody is different. So uh, you have to be very careful with making blanket statements with throwing out, Hey, this worked for me. So try this, which you do see on the internet. A lot of people, there's so many different diets and the best diet is the diet that works for you. So yeah. That might not be the best diet for somebody else, but you see a lot of these fads and things that come out keto and all these different paleo and all these different kinds of types of diets. And everyone thinks, okay, that's the, the one I've been waiting on. Now that I have that, now I am going to lose the weight that I want to lose. And it's like, but is that sustainable? Like you said, is that sustainable? I mean, cutting out carbs, you know, the United, the U S diet is very carb laden. So yeah. You're trying to cut out carbs. That's tough. That's requiring a lot of work to have to work around that. It's not impossible. People do it, but an individual has to ask themselves, do I want to give up carbs? You know, one of the things that I love the most, me is pizza. (laughs) And I love Mexican food. So I, Chipotle bowls, like I love rice, right? So I love carbs. So would it make sense for me to do a keto diet? No, because for one, I don't think carbs are the enemy, but two, if I gave that up, I wouldn't have enjoyment with what I was eating, like giving up my favorite food groups. And so that's not the answer for me. There's another way around it. And I found other ways through just more so focusing on not overeating that I've been able to find a good balance between, um, you know, hitting the gym hard and building muscle mass while also gaining a a minimal amount of muscle. So it's like, you got to find what works for you, but that's where it's through trial and error, talking to nutritionists, talking to respect professionals and getting that, that, that information so that you can give yourself the best chance to succeed. Amazing. I, I really do think that, you know, with the platform you've been given and how hard of a worker you are through, you know, your life so far that you're going to do great things in that space. So all the best to you there. I, I'm excited to see how that pans out for you. I appreciate that. As you're going on this media tour after you know the show and you're going to Barstool and you're going to Jimmy Kimmel or wherever, what were some of the most fun interactions that you've had other than breathing air, of course, but like, what were some of like your favorite interviews that you've had that you, people you got to sit down with? I actually really like the the people over at Barstool. Uh, I, I Ria, Fran, Trent. I had a few. I had a few conversations with them, and uh, they weren't the biggest fans of my decisions on the show, and they were pretty animated about them. But again, uh, you know, they were they had fun with it. I think, yeah, they questioned what I was doing, but as I got to sit down and talk with them, uh, we had very real discussions, and we were open and honest with each other, transparent. And we were able to make light on a lot of it. And because of that, uh, I really enjoyed those conversations. Like I, the interview style, four minutes, like, okay, here's an interview for four minutes. And I can only say, I love to talk, right? So for me, just to like answer questions with 10 second responses, it's not fun because I like having open conversations, open-ended questions, things that you can dive into and learn from. Uh, Interviews, those quick interviews are just rapid bursts of answering the same questions over and over and over again. And so any of those, any of those interviews where I was able to sit down, have a 30 plus minute to an hour conversation, those are my favorite conversations because I think so much happens in those conversations and you can learn so much. And I've learned a lot more on those than just doing those interviews. Yes. The interviews you're on these big platforms and you push yourself out there. And I think those plat those, those interviews give you the ability to be seen by a lot of people. 
So then hopefully they come in and they watch a podcast like this and they go, Oh, I listened to this hour long podcast and I got to learn a ton about this guy that I wasn't able to learn in a fit, uh, two minute interview with good morning America. Right. What is next for Clayton in five years? Where are you? What are you doing? What's life look like, man? I wish I could tell you what five years looks like. I can't even tell you what the next six months looks like. Uh, but that's what's exciting, right? Uh, I there's so much, so many moving parts right now. So this is what I can tell you as far as what is in front of me today. Uh, yeah, I'm working on my certified personal training certificate right now. Uh, I'm probably two weeks away from finishing that, so I'll have those credentials to be able to more confidently speak on that subject matter and get back in that realm. Uh, beyond that, then once I'm knocking that out, I'm going to start writing up uh, material to motivationally speak on topics with men's mental health uh, and body dysmorphia, things that I've experienced that I'd love to be able to give back. Uh, you know, I'm going to uh, therapy right now. Uh, I'm scheduling, actually, I'm in the process of scheduling some therapy. Uh, and and it's, it's great. I want to be able to talk about that. Like men should be able to talk about going to therapy. Great things can happen from those discussions. So, I have all those, those things that I'm focusing in on. And then, you know, I am trying to work for a company, a fitness company, uh, a, a large corporation uh, where I could be a potential group instructor. So uh, that part of it, I'm starting to have discussions with companies and it's very early in the process. There are no guarantees as there never are in life anyways, but my ultimate goal would be to be able to get on with a big company uh, uh, and then be a group instructor and then be able to do that uh, and, and be able to have that platform on the fitness side. And then also then travel around the country doing speaking engagements. Those two things would be, uh, I'd be over the moon. I'd be so happy It'd be my true calling in life. And I'd be extremely passionate about it. Uh, and obviously with saying all of that, still building this incredible relationship that I have with Susie, uh, she has been, uh, in my corner for the last four or five months where like I, she was the one person that understood me that went through it all with me. Uh, and she's gotten me through a lot of these dark times. Uh, she did push me through a lot of these tough moments. I've never met someone so encouraging that just, uh, is such a powerful person with like the mindset that she possesses the love that she has for not only, uh, others, but just for herself. I mean, she's, she's incredible. And, having her in my life has made me a better human being. And so five years from now, I mean, as of right now, it's going great. We know that, that no relationship is hundred percent foolproof as far as being able to survive throughout the entire course of life. But for right now, we know that, and we're just having fun. And every day we wake up and we just try to love each other each more each and every day. And we've done that. And, uh, so, yeah, I think at the end of it all, through all this mayhem, one thing's for certain, uh, you know, my, the big, one of the biggest loves of my life is her, my family and friends, keeping those relationships going, just having, making sure that I take time to prioritize building those relationships. And then the other pieces, uh, you know, they'll fall into place accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. What is your definition of success? Oh man. Yeah. You know, everyone's, everyone's definition is different. Right. And I, for me personally, I, and this is just me personally, I want to say it's not for others, but for me personally, success from a financial standpoint, I want to be at a place where I don't have to worry about finances, where I can truly do what I want to do. My true passions 
And I don't have to be reliant upon some job that I don't like or don't want to show up to, but I am showing up to them on a you know day-to-day basis because I need a paycheck. Like, I want to be able to find that success where I can truly just do what I love and pour into that and find my true purpose in that realm. So that's success from a financial standpoint. Uh, success from a relationship standpoint, I want a long-lasting love, like with my, you know, with my partner being Susie right now. Like I want to build a, a relationship that lasts a lifetime. And so success to me is that. But I don't think it's a failure if they don't, you know, through everything you can learn lessons. But to me, ultimate success relationship is a lifelong um, relationship with somebody. So that looks like success for me in that in that front. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I think those two things through relationships, friends and family, that same thing as well, like making sure you continue to pour into that and they stick with you and you have the right people in your corner. But I think if you have love in your life, if you have the finances to support your life, uh, and you're in, and you're, and you're, I think those two things will put you in a very good state of mind and a really positive, you know, and have good mental well being. That I think with all of that, with those two things coupled together with a positive mindset, uh, I think that's the best way to attack life. And that's where you have the most success. And that's where you can really make a difference, not only in your life, but then you can start to pour into other people's as well. So, that's what success looks like to me. Amazing. Clayton, where can everybody find you online? I think it's pretty straightforward at this point. But you can really straightforward. I'm pretty sure all of my social media accounts are Clayton Eckerd. Some of them have maybe a period in between Clayton and Eckerd. Honestly, I, can't even, I don't even know. I think Instagram is Clayton Eckerd. I, th- I, 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 have, I have a TikTok uh yeah that, that's that's rough but i'm trying my best to, you know to put, put up stuff that's fine. quite the dancer quite the dancer yeah quite the yeah exactly uh so yeah that as well uh tiktok i have a twitter same thing i think it's clayton Eckert. so yeah just really all this all the those main uh social media sites is where people can find me online uh and and yeah as more things happen here in the near future i will use a lot of those avenues to uh put out the messages that i want to put out well thank you so much for coming on the show clayton uh look forward to giving you some more dubs and fantasy down the road Oh my god! I know the boys miss. I know the boys miss you. You know we're. They so want me to come back there. in and play fancy football, but nothing wrecks my Sundays more than playing fancy <laughs> football because I get so mad that I lose every year to the guy that never watches football. <laughs> and that's they're, they're the ones that they act, and then afterwards they want to act like they're professionals. Like, yeah, I, I picked this guy. No, you auto drafted. That's why. You, that's why you have him. I can't, I don't know, man. My well-being right now, I'm like, do I want to dedicate You're like, I'm in such a good place. Why do I need I'm this I'm in a chaos? great spot. I can't tell you how many times I had to shut off the TV and go you know, storming around the house because I, I lost because my player got injured that day. So, uh, yeah, we'll see, man. Well, we'll I, let, me put a, let me put some more thought into the fantasy football environment and see if I want to get back into that. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on. You know, I wish you nothing but the best. And, uh, man, it's been, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely, mates. I really appreciate it. Great talking to you. All right, everybody. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with someone who you think could benefit from it. That is the price of admission today. Share it with somebody and then put it into action. Hit the purple subscribe button, rate the show, and let me know what you thought in the comment section below. So thank you guys so much for tuning into another week. And have a kick-ass rest of it.